1: This episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway is brought to you by, as always, our Patreon subscribers. Could not do it without you. Love every single one of you, and also the Rangers Forum, August twenty fifth, at Beer Authority in New York City, a couple blocks from MSG, not a long walk from Penn. Hopefully, if you know if you're a fan of the podcast and you're going to be in the area, you'll stop by. It's going to be us, the Garden faithful, and bantering the blue shirts, discussing all thing Rangers, and probably, um, you know, you know, hanging out with a little beverage. For a while with a bunch of you, uh, to the middle of the night. So hopefully you guys will shout, will sh- shout by, stop by, and see us at that point in time. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach us, reach out to us on Twitter or anywhere else you can find us. All right, let's start the show. Good one today. Hey, Booster Breakout fans, welcome to the week of the Bushes Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead. I am here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan. Greg, say hello. Nah. Okay, that sounds good. No, that's good. Uh, you know, we're in the dog days of summer of, of being a Rangers fan. And actually, not even just being a Rangers fan, but being an NHL fan. We're all kind of waiting on a few different things. I'll list those things out in case you are wondering. It is signing Brady Shea. It is signing Kevin Hayes. Or it is the Eric Carlson trade that has never come. And hey, may never come at this point. We're just waiting on that. The only news that we really got this week as Rager fans was that Jimmy VC signed a two year deal, and then also that Lindy Ruff would be on the bench. Outside of those two pieces of news, we've got really not much to talk about. The Jimmy VC signing is interesting in the fact that it's a good deal for a bottom six guy who I said wouldn't be on this team. I'll eight crow, hand up. I did not think he'd be back on the team at all. I thought he was a prime trade candidate going forward. I was wrong in many ways. There, the thing about Jimmy Vc going, like he got the two million dollars he wanted. He got paid. There were rumors he wanted to go to Toronto, but he's—I don't know if he had time, playing time in Toronto. They have a lot of different wingers there, and they have a stacked. Were there
2: arguments. rumors he wanted to go to Toronto? There actually
1: was. I read about. Well, were they substantiated? No. There weren't. I went on the internet and people told me there were rumors he wanted to go to Toronto.
2: I don't think there were actually real rumors he wanted to go to Toronto. Also, Jimmy Vesey is not exactly the kind of player that uh, gets to dictate where exactly he wants to go anymore.
1: No, he did that after college and then he really didn't. I mean, he did live up to who he was, maybe a little less because he was a college prospect and the overhype was overblown. But he's been a solid bottom six player for the Rangers and he will continue to be so moving forward for the next two years.
2: Yeah, the Vesey contract's fine. It goes back to – it's. I don't even consider it a bridge deal because if Jimmy Vc was a free agent, I wouldn't want to sign him for a contract longer than two years. He's just not that kind of player. He's got some offensive upside as in he's a guy that can put the puck in the net. So you always like having those kind of players eating up bottom six minutes on your team. It'll be interesting to see if David Quinn can get anything more out of him, but – at the end of the day, Jimmy VC is a forward that should be living on a team's third or fourth line, can score 15 goals a year, can't really do much else for your team, doesn't do a whole lot in all three zones on the ice. He's a perfectly fine forward. He's not anyone you build around. He's a nice piece to have he's still relatively young could develop at some point
1: into something more
2: but i don't think so no,
1: but i wouldn't i, think Jimmy I wouldn't think bet on VC it yeah i, I think half
2: the there are a lot of smart people saying a lot of smart things and it's kind of proven that by age 26 in the nhl you kind of are what you are and i think vc is what is he 24 25 26 i think he's 24 i'm going to double check right now uh, you can, he just is what he is. And I don't think that's a knock on Jimmy Vc because what Jimmy Vc is is a perfectly fine, useful hockey player. I think Jimmy Vc is more useful on a winning team than he would be the Rangers next season. Turn 25 uh, May 26th this year. Yeah, he's, he just is what he is. He's a guy that's going to put – he's going to put up goals. He's not going to put up much else. He's basically Brandon Peary. He's a little bit better than Brandon Peary. And uh, I don't know if you've ever really given more than two years to a guy like Brandon
1: Peary. Is he Brandon Peary? Brandon Peary was really bad for us, like on in a level that was upsetting.
2: I don't even know if Brandon Peary was really bad. Brandon Peary was really bad under Elaine Vigno. Hmm. Okay. But he's a guy that scored twenty goals a year. He went, for, he went elsewhere
1: and didn't do too well either, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly about Brandon Peary. But maybe I'm wrong.
2: I, Bre- I don't know. I just there's nothing there's nothing about Jimmy VC that screams long term deal. And if you're going to give a guy like Jimmy VC, you're not going to pull a Lou Lambrello and give VC four years. It doesn't make any sense. Give VC two years. You could flip him at any time if you so choose. There's no harm in trying to see if VC develops into anything more. I just think it's an unrealistic expectation. See what David Quinn can do with him. Worst case, I mean, not even worst case scenario. It's just. Jimmy VC is gonna live on the third and fourth line, which is where he should be. Oh yeah. Maybe he gets maybe he gets power play minutes if there are injuries, but I wouldn't even go out of my way to give Jimmy VC power play minutes. I think he's a guy that should just be averaging in that 13 to 15 minutes a night on ice in your bottom six. I don't think there's anything really screaming out special about Jimmy VC at this point in time. My whole thing about bridge deals is if it's a guy you think is a long-term piece. The Kevin Hayes and Pavel Buchnevich's of the world. And the Brady Shays. And, and the, the Brady Shays. That's the real name I was going for. Those are guys you don't bridge because you're just going to have to pay them twice. If Jimmy VC has a good two years, you're still not even paying him twice. I think if VC, best case scenario that he could ever hope for is a contract in the three and a half million
1: range. That's where I was about to land too. I feel like that would be, let's say he goes out and scores like, I don't know, 20 goals. He's a 20 goal scorer. Uh, he he plays okay two-way hockey. You're going to play a pay around $3.1 million for him. That's where you'll be ended up. And really, the upgrade or the uh, the payment upgrade for him wouldn't be substantial enough for you to to blink at it. You wouldn't be upset.
2: Yeah, and his next contract in all likelihood is probably going to come from a team that's not the New York Rangers. So I'm really, I'm fine with it. He's a piece, if, if he's going to be a Ranger for the next two years, two years where the Rangers are kind of just figuring out what they have, sure, fine, whatever, I don't care. I, I would have traded Jimmy Visa this offseason because... There were reports that teams had thought highly of him. They had interest in him. They were evaluating VC on a higher plane than they were a guy like Ryan Spooner. And I thought Spooner is a more complete hockey player than VC is. So if opposing GMs are having those kind of evaluations of Jimmy VC, that's why I would have traded him. I wouldn't have traded Jimmy VC because I don't like him. I would have traded Jimmy VC because I think other teams were overvaluing him. But I think. All we know right now, or all that's being proven right now, is that NHL GMs don't know how to fucking multitask. Surprise, surprise. They're all just focused on arbitration, which is fine. It's just, I don't know how you can't also be doing other business while arbitration is going on. They, there's, it's, it's ridiculous.
1: There's been almost no rumors or wheel and deal anywhere. And I mean, the, no. the Carlson the Carlson trade got to what? The one-yard line?
2: The two-yard line? I have no idea. We, we'll never know. The, the I I think what happened was the fantasy owner that is the... Pierre Dorian Ottawa Senators kept trying to have teams bid against each other and teams just got fucking tired of it and that's it so they stopped talking about it
1: and as a Rager fan that's your next big other than the like I just said the Brady Shea and the Hayes extension which we don't know if either is going to happen appropriately we'll find out probably this week and next week I think are the the arbitration dates that are set I think August 3rd is Hayes or Shea I can't remember but uh, if that's the case, your next big piece that you want to happen is the Eric Carlson trade because we're likely involved in it as the third team. Likely. It's not guaranteed. There are other teams that are definitely going to want to be on this, but we're probably the the people taking back some money. Or Ryan Callahan. Who knows? So that'll be the next big part of your offseason as a Ranger fan before camp breaks. But for right now, it's going to be all nonsense for the rest of the summer because I have no idea what other news we have coming up.
2: Yeah, the only thing, people... People got mad online. People just get mad online. Great, relax. People days. got
1: mad online.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, I just, I'm just getting tired of people arguing the same points over and over again about Brady Shea. I don't know how many times we have to have this conversation. You don't bridge Brady Shea because you're just going to have to pay him twice. Like the, the whole point of liking Jimmy Vesey's deal is because you're never going to be in a scenario where you're going to have to pay that guy twice. If all of a sudden Jimmy Vesey feels like he's in a position to ask for four and a half to $5 million a year, fine. He'll ask for that from another team. If you're the New York Rangers, you'll never have to worry about paying Jimmy Vesey that kind of money. Brady Shea, for the, for the bridge crowd, just doesn't make any sense. If it, it, to me, Brady Shea, it's real simple. It's real simple. Either you sign him to a long-term extension, four years longer, $4.5 million AAV or higher. Give him the long-term money. This is the time to figure out if it works. You're a rebuilding team. If you swing and miss on a Brady Shea contract – It's not going to be more than $5 million annually. That's a contract you can trade to another team because even in two years, he's still only going to be 26 years old.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And if
2: you don't want to to get that contract, you trade him right now. You do not bridge him. That does not help your franchise. That is not a long-term feasibility move. There is no reason for the Rangers to bridge him. They have so much cap space over the next couple of years that it just doesn't make any sense. All he has to do is be a
1: second line defenseman and then it's worth the the deal. Whatever deal we give him.
2: Yeah, I I just fans are arguing as if in order to give him a long term deal he has to be a number 1 defenseman. That's just not the case. The New York Rangers need second pair defensemen. The New York Rangers just need defensemen.
1: Yeah, can, and Brady Shea, play
2: defense, has proven, please let us sign you. Yeah, and Brady Shea has proven at some point in time that he's a more than an adequate defenseman. Even better than that. Yeah, he had a bad year last year. Which Ranger defender had a good year last year? Yeah, let's talk about that.
1: Which Ranger? Which one had, had a good year? Wait, quick question. Which Ranger had a good year last year?
2: Kevin Hayes was fine. Oh. Pavel Buchnevich for what he played, was fine. Okay, but that's Mika right. had when healthy, was fine. But yeah, it's a very fucking short list. I don't understand the the people saying the people using last year as a measuring stick for the kind of contract Brady Shea has. If you have that little faith in Brady Shea, fucking trade him. There is zero point for the New York Rangers to bridge anyone this offseason. I do not consider the Jimmy VC deal a bridge. Jimmy VC is a player that should not be getting more than two years on any contract period. You don't bridge VC. You don't bridge Hayes. The only player, Ryan Spooner, go to arbitration with him, give him a one year deal, flip him at the deadline. That doesn't care. Ryan Spooner to me is not a player. He's an asset. But oh, he's definitely, he's definitely getting
1: shipped out. But again, I said that about Jimmy VC, where I was like, "This guy's definitely going." So, but Spooner feels definitely more like that. He'll be the—he's a trade ship more than
2: anything else. Spooner more than VC, I think. In our heads, the Rangers see VC still as an investment that they made, and they want to see if he can morph into something more because David Quinn is here, and they have the feeling that David Quinn might be able to tap into something we weren't able to see Jimmy Vc do under Elaine Vigneault. is possible. I just think it's unlikely. Ryan Spooner feels like a straight-up asset. I don't think the Rangers view him as anything more than that. Uh, I just, I don't even consider the Nemesnikov deal a bridge because the Rangers don't really know what they have in him. No, that's a test deal. As, as we
1: talked about, recently we're like that's a deal yeah. that let's see what we have and I know that's what bridge deals are guys but it just doesn't feel that way at all
2: no I don't I do not consider the Mestikov a bridge deal because that's another guy I just expected the Rangers to trade and I still think the Rangers the Rangers view the Mestikov and Spooner differently than they view guys like Shea and Hayes Shea and Hayes are long-term pieces whereas the Mestikov and Spooner are long-term trade chips as in these guys don't necessarily have to be traded this offseason season but they're going to be put under term long enough so that the Rangers can explore a trade market for them. And we're clearly seeing that teams do not multitask. It's arbitration season. It's all anyone is doing. That's... No one is doing anything else but negotiating arbitration deals with their free agents, which is ridiculous cuz every other sport during arbitration season, they're making trades to move their arbitration eligible players or their restricted free agents. Yep. It's it's just insane that the NHL has no wherewithal to try and multitask. Also, feels
1: like it's summer and people are just taking vacations. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I think that plays into it.
2: It could. But just, just again, the, the Shea point, there really are only two options in my mind. Give them the long-term deal that I think it's, it's worth doing, which is north of five years, $4.5 million annually. Just make it happen. And if it, if it doesn't work, you're in such a good spot financially over the next X amount of years this rebuild is going to take that. It almost doesn't matter to bridge Brady Shea just to eventually either pay him more down the road. And we're talking more than 6 million annually, or because you don't have the confidence that Brady Shea is going to live up to whatever expectations you're putting on him by bridging him. If you have that little faith in Brady Shea, you just trade him. I, I it doesn't make any sense to do anything else. Giving Brady Shea a two-year deal just to have him become a restricted free agent again and have to negotiate this entire process again. It's asinine, and it's exactly why the Rangers put themselves in a position where they felt they needed to trade J.T. Miller. 100%. I'm not saying J.T. Miller is a world-beater player. I'm not saying he's a guy the Rangers are going to regret moving. I'm fine with J.T. Miller being included in that Ryan McDonough trade, notwithstanding his contract situation. But J.T. Miller However, could have been on the team the
1: whole- for like $3 million. A couple years. The ago.
2: whole reason why JT Miller was in that situation was because the Rangers did not extend him when they should have. Or they did not extend Kevin Hayes when they should have. They bridged both those players and were put in a position where they all of a sudden had to make a choice, even when they had so much cap space as they did. And if the Rangers need to, at all costs, avoid that situation from happening again. The only way you avoid that is giving Brady Shea that long-term deal or by trading him. And if the Rangers want to trade him, that's fine. I'm not going to criticize the Rangers for trading Brady Shea. I think Brady Shea can bring you a boatload of assets for the future. And if the, the whole point of this rebuild is to be good in two years or three years, fine. Trade Brady Shea for a first-round pick and a prospect, by all means. I just – I don't know why you would bridge him. The argument doesn't – it does not compute. The, the you, you trade him or extend him. Those are the only two options. And any, anyone saying they should bridge him is just you don't have the confidence in him becoming a real thing. So if you don't have the confidence in becoming a real thing, walk away when you can.
1: I think you're right. The only counterpoint I would have is that I think all these co- contracts are tradable in Domestikov. I think uh, a VC will be tradable. I think if we did put Brady Shea up for a two-year extension, we could continue to shop him to get what we actually want for him, if, if that's the point.
2: Yeah, but you could do the same thing if you give Brady Shea a five-year deal. His annual salary is not going to be high enough where the years start to matter. Yeah. He's still a young, 24-year-old, puck-moving defenseman who has shown upside in the offensive zone and on the power play. Give him five or six years, and in two years, that contract is still movable, even if he doesn't develop into a first-pairing defenseman. If Brady Shea becomes a number four, five, or six defenseman, there are plenty of other defensemen in this league older than Brady Shea making more money on longer-term deals. You can always move Brady Shea's contract.
1: Yeah, people, will, will, people would be willing to take Brady Shea or a risk or a chance of Brady Shea hoping that he would change in a new system, even exactly. later, three years from now.
2: But never I'm, – I'm just team never bridge. Don't bridge Shea. Don't bridge Hayes. I don't consider the Hayes and – the uh, not Hayes. I don't consider VC and Mesnikov bridge deals because those are – the Rangers just view them as assets. VC is a lottery ticket, and Nemesnikov, in all likelihood is not going to spend more than two years in New York. So I, I – I, I don't think that's unreasonable pieces, at all, by the way. Yeah, like, even those a guys aren't bit. pieces you build around. Those are, those are guys – where if the Rangers were a playoff team, you'd like to have those guys on roster. But since the Rangers aren't that kind of team, all they're going to do is try and put those players in the best position to increase their value on the market.
1: Let's hit on really quickly the Lindy Ruff news, which was David uh, David Brooks, Larry Brooks. Who's David Brooks? Larry Brooks was reporting that Lindy Ruff would actually be on the bench where David Oliver and Greg Brown would sort of be the eyes in the skies. Those are the two uh, assistant coaches that no,
2: Oliver is going to be on the bench too. Only he? Brown's gonna be in the Okay. Press All right.
1: Board. Thank you for correcting me. I appreciate that. Um, Brad. So I know Brown was brought on also with, with David Quinn. These are guys that came with him and guys he respects. He doesn't, he said here, it's important to me for have people like could trust, have confidence and have relationships. It's not like they're hired. A couple of buddies. Um, he told that to the New York post. So, uh, I think that's fine. I think it's because the maybe the brass said we want Lindy Ruff on the bench for more experience. I'm really not sure. I don't think he's making the major decisions and I'm not really upset about it.
2: Yeah, Lindy Ruff would have been, to me, more perfectly suited in the box than Greg Brown. Greg Brown has experience working with uh, the special teams and defensemen. And just because he's not going to be behind the bench every night, I don't think that's going to impact how much of a role he's going to have on power play units, penalty kill units, and uh, defensive pairings. He's going to be very involved. So I'm not really worried that he's not behind the bench. The thing I've convinced myself is you have David Quinn, first-time NHL head coach. You have Oliver, who isn't the most experienced assistant. He's coming from the Avalanche organization where he was director of player personnel. So it's not like he has extensive background on – how to handle an NHL bench. So maybe Lindy Ruff is serving. I, I made this example on Twitter a very long time ago. Maybe Lindy Ruff will be the Don Zimmer to David Quinn's Joe Tory, where he's just an old trusted hand. And if Quinn, for whatever reason, has a question or needs help handling a situation in the NHL for the first time, Ruff will be there to kind of smooth out the edges. And for all the, Consternation that came with the announcement that Ruff was staying physically on the bench. I think it's important to remember that as bad as the Rangers defense was last year, Ruff was in charge of the penalty kill, which ranked 10th in the NHL. So we're talking about, I remember bitching and moaning about guys like Steve Camphor being on penalty kill minutes. At the same time, the yeah, Rangers' they were penalty t- kill, and it, it, was, it was fine.
1: Greg, that's actually and, a good point I didn't even think of. And we, yeah, talk, we it, talk all the time, and I hate you. Yeah,
2: I, it, it's, it's a fine, it was a fine penalty kill. And yeah, probably a lot of it is Henrik Lundqvist just making up deficiencies where he can. But I, I really think at the end of the day, and the more I think about it, it sucked seeing it because it would have been nice to have basically the kids behind the bench and just a really young, fresh coaching staff. But it's I do a hand holding situation. Like you're saying. Yeah, I, I I think Ruff I'll be more concerned if Ruff hangs around next year. Next year or the year after. Yeah, I'm with you.
1: Right but now, get, this is like hey, hey David, this is your first year as a real head coach at the NHL. I've been here for a long time. Let me show you the ropes.
2: It's not even showing him the ropes. It's more of just making sure that uh, it's almost like letting a baby walk for the first time, right? You're holding you're up. You're not you're not yeah, you're not making sure that every step David Quinn makes is the right step. You're just making sure that when David Quinn falls down, you can help him up if he needs it. That, that's what I think the role Lindy Ruff plays is. I, I was not happy when the news broke. Uh, I don't know anyone that was. But the more I think on it, I, Brown is going to be heavily involved in how this defense plays, who's paired with who, what their lineups look like in, in uh, extra man and down a man situations. Brown is going to have his hand wrapped around this team's defensive structure, I think. And it's going to be hand-in-hand with David Quinn. I don't think Lindy Ruff is here to necessarily have a booming voice of influence on what the Rangers are going to do on a day-to-day basis. Lindy Ruff is just here to make sure David Quinn can swim. I really think it's nothing more than that. Throwing a baby in a pool. Yeah. David Quinn's being fed the Sharks. I, I know that he's been a college head coach for a very long time. And it's not exactly like these kids are going from playing NHL 18 to all of a sudden coaching a real life hockey team. That's not what I'm saying. No. Yeah. He really life- is yeah. very capable of coaching a hockey team, managing personalities and hopefully getting the most out of his players, which is why he's here. But there are points to being a manager for the first time that I think you, it helps to have a veteran voice. I, I, I hate to do this. Actually, I don't hate to do this. I fucking love to do this. Yeah, so you, shut up say, for anyone is, who complains. This is what you love to do. <laughs> you know what? It would have helped Mickey Calloway if he had someone on his coaching staff that's been around it once before. Oh, boy. If,
1: yeah. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. We have two great interviews coming up. We have Keith Kincaid
2: of the New Jersey Devils. We have- no, no. I got, I got a completely different... I have a completely different Mets rant we're going to get into. All I'm saying is in this specific example, when you are a first-time head coach, there are things... That would help you if someone next to you on the bench had been through the shit before just to be like, not not to tell you not to do something, but just to whisper in your ear and say something like, hey, man, maybe not the best of idea to do that. Yeah, hey, It helps. Hey, not really. the. You know what? Everything else you're doing great. This
1: one, not so great. Maybe don't yeah, do that.
2: Or you know what? And, and Lindy Ruff, he could say that. But at the same time, Lindy Ruff could also be the guy to be like, you know what, man? Do it. Try it. Let's learn from it. We're not exactly trying to win the Stanley Cup this year. But maybe Ruff just steps in one time and says something like, I don't know about that, David. Maybe not, David. Maybe do this. Maybe take a timeout here. Maybe think on it a little bit. Like that, That's what Lindy Ruff can do. And I think first-time managers can use that. I, I would be as concerned as the next guy if all of a sudden Lindy Ruff has been given more responsibilities behind the bench. I just don't think that's the case. I just think the Rangers like that Lindy Ruff has been through this shit before and none of their other coaches have been. So, fine. For a year, He if Lindy Ruff is going to be David Quinn's training wheels, you could have a worse pair. 100%. All
1: right, here we go. We have two interviews coming up. We have Keith King of the New Jersey Devils, then we have Shana from The Athletic and Blue Shirt Banter to talk about all the Rangers and Rangers offseason. And then we're coming back. Greg's going to flame the Mets, I'm assuming. So let's go ahead and transition to that, and then we'll come back and uh, talk about the great Tim Tebow transition and we're back with our second NHL guest ever we have Keith Kincaid from the New Jersey Devils Keith you are the goalie who had a hot streak last year thanks for coming on the podcast after a long time trying to get you
3: yeah thanks for uh thanks for having me I'm finally happy to be on here uh had to make you guys earn it a little bit you know it well, it's nice that, that
1: it's, it's nice that you're happy to be on a Rangers podcast because I'm sure a lot of people dislike you Despite it being a, a crazy rivalry, do you feel like the the Devils still have a rivalry with the Rangers?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, some people may not say there's a rivalry, but uh, you see, every time we're in each other's building, there's always chance going each other's way. There's a lot of Ranger fans that come to the Prudential Center, a lot of Devil fans that go to the Madison Square Garden. I think it's still alive.
2: Keith, for you. I'm, I'm i I just want to know is is there more pressure for you playing basically in your backyard? I mean you grew up on Long Island. That's kind of how we know you. It do you do you feel added pressure playing in the tri-state area?
3: No, uh I don't cuz uh you know, I'm I'm I guess across the river, but uh it does uh it does help me a little bit with uh friends and family always being able to come to my games and support me and you know, being kind of like a lo- local guy. So uh I kind of take pride in that
1: I think I'd be I'd I'd miss out if I didn't ask you this question what was the first time like when you suited up on MSG ice
3: uh I won't lie to you that was uh it was a preseason game and I was a little nervous but uh you know you get the kinks out in preseason but then uh this year I got my first actual start in Madison Square Garden and that was uh that was pretty neat you know I've been to a few Ranger games in my lifetime and, you know, a few concerts there and obviously world's most famous arena, but it was definitely a treat and also to get the win on that race.
2: Also helps when you're playing uh, with the league MVP this year, doesn't it?
3: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Nothing but good things to say about Taylor Hall. You know, he he really drove the bus for our team this year uh, alongside Nico who's uh, obviously an outstanding rookie. He doesn't act like a rookie. He's, He's just a tremendous guy. So, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to build off last year and uh, get back into the playoffs again.
1: What was the mood in the locker room like when Taylor actually joined the team? Like, were you on Twitter and saw the trade and you were like, yeah, fist pump this one?
3: You know, uh, I was actually really good friends with Adam Larson, and uh, I didn't really know what to think at all, but anytime you could add uh, or you'd help, um, you know, his first year Obviously, he wasn't happy with it and uh, really worked hard over summer. And now you see the potential, you know, league MVP and just, he's just going to try to build off that.
2: Keith, the thing I've always been curious about with you, you started your career basically a backup. You play probably 20, 25 games a year. And then last year, when the team needed you most, not only did you step up and become the starter, but you went on a tear and helped carry the Devils to the playoffs. Was there a big, change for you mentally physically from going from part-time player to every night you're expected to lace up the pads and get in goal
3: yeah you know uh you can look at it a few different ways definitely uh being a backup it's it's tough playing once every you know week to two weeks sometimes even longer uh i've gone six weeks one time without playing a game and it's never easy you can't get in a flow and then uh you know, when Schneids went down, you know, I, I was just coming back from an injury also. And, uh, you know, they gave me the ball to run with. And I started out hot, 3-0. and And then the next three games, uh, maybe got a little too comfortable and lost those three games. And then uh, after that, I really bared down. You got to change the way you approach things. Change. You don't want to overdo yourself. So I kind of learned how to manage your body as a starter. And... You know, I got into a really good flow, as you guys said. And, you know, I just rolled all the way to playoffs. Unfortunately, I didn't have the best playoffs. Kevin so Bay's a great team. But um, just kind of learned a lot about myself and a lot about what my my ability can do.
2: You do have a former Ranger in your ranks, or at least you did before he signed with Arizona this year. What was Michael Grabner like for those three months that he was in the Devil's locker room?
3: Uh, he's a tremendous person uh he's he's always for the boys and uh you know just uh makes little jokes here and there we have a uh, we always have group chats whatever team you're on and uh you know, we just make little jokes even it was like he was with us the whole season and then obviously his talent on the ice is you know his skill is and his speed are just outstanding and uh you know it's unfortunate but uh we lost him in uh free agency but that happens to people and uh know yeah, we wish him nothing but the best
2: do you think grabner has too many abs is it humanly possible to have more abs than michael Grabner?
3: what was that more what abs
2: More abs muscles in his stomach that i <laughs> lack
3: <laughs> he does have a a body a temple body so it's uh <laughs> I wish I could do that too, but it's uh, just unfortunate the way my metabolism does. Yeah, doesn't Keith, you're really
1: lacking in the good looks self. material section. It really, must be really tough for you. <laughs> um, was,
3: it's, it's a tough life, guys. <laughs> it has to be.
1: Was there a particular game last year that stuck out to you as a sort of turning point? You were like, after this game, you were like, okay, I have it now.
3: Um, no, I think we, we entered March still in the race and, you know, everybody's still speculating what's going on with Schneider. And then we had the, our toughest road stretch. We started in Nashville, then we had to go to Vegas, and then we had the West Coast trip, which is never easy. And then come back, play Pittsburgh and Tampa back-to-back. So I think that was really where we felt we needed to really gain some momentum and points, and then, you know, we go into Nashville. They're on a 10-game win streak, and we're, they're on their own ice and we beat them in a shootout. And after that, we go into Vegas. We have a few days in Vegas, and, you know, we have our, our rookie party out there. So that that's, could be helping, uh, you know, Vegas' homestand, which uh, you know, I think they had the best home record in all the NHL. There's a reason, but, Keith. Uh, we go in there and stomp it. We go in there and have, have some fun and stomp them 8-3. And, you know, we're really looking at ourselves in, in the mirror and saying, wow, we can actually do this. Um, we go into L.A., we get a shutout, and then, unfortunately, lose. we lose to, we lose to Tampa, or, uh, San Jose and Anaheim. But come back from that trip, beat Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay back-to-back, and, you know, we're still in the mix there. But uh, Florida was chasing us, you know, the whole, the whole way to the end, and, you know, we had to just keep winning. So I think that's when we realized, you know, we could do this.
2: Keith, are you the mastermind behind getting the number one or was that kind of just given to you and you've stuck with it since then?
3: Actually, uh, I was number one in high school and then changed to 30 for my travel team and uh, college. And then once I turned pro, I think I started with 40 in training camp and then got 35. And then when Schneider was traded here, he took 35 and I was given one after that. And uh you know, I, I actually like the number one. It's not too many numbers on your back, and uh, you could always just pretend and say, number one in your program number one in your heart. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a solid way to go about it. Um, you know, I have to ask, did you have you had a chance to talk to Ty Smith or any of the draftees this year and give them any advice yet, or is that still waiting for uh, for camp?
3: Uh, you know, I, I mingled with a few of them. I didn't get to speak to Ty Smith. Um, just a few guys were in development camp this past week, and I... Uh, I got in, you know, set a little spiel with a a few of the other veterans and just gave them our perspective and what we we look for in a team and our culture as a team. And, uh, you know, like I said, I didn't get to speak to a few, but but, uh, I did get to speak to some of the guys I'm quite familiar with. So that was always good. But I think uh, them hearing from a few leaders like Corey Schneider and Andy Green and Cal Palmieri, you know, really helps them out.
2: Keith, are you ever going to have a battle with Didi Gregorius for best emoji game for an athlete in the New York, New Jersey area?
3: You know, I, I try. I, I, I took his little uh, emoji thing, made a little twist on it. You know, he's, I had a lot, a few more emojis sometimes, but, uh, you know, I I like the idea from him and, you know, I give him all the credit and, uh, you know, I never want to steal him, but I thought it was just a fun way to interact with the fans. The fans seemed to love it. And then, you know, we kept winning games, and then I had to keep thinking of new new ideas and new emojis for people that would get added or, you know, taken off the roster and whatnot. So it was, it was a little fun, but, uh, you know, he can get the glory for that. I'll just be a copycat.
1: Well, you can't just say he can get the glory. You literally went on a date because on Twitter because of Chipotle. Like, that was like a national news in the NHL. It was like, Keith Kincaid takes woman on date to Chipotle. And it looks like a grand old time. I'm not sure how it went.
3: Uh, It went pretty good. Uh, I won't lie. We, we, we had a good friendship from it. But, uh, you know, I think it it blew up as a joke. And then, uh, you know, we just kind of kept going with it. Got a uh, Chipotle reached out to us and, uh, you know, set up this whole thing. And, you know, they got some PR out of it, too. But right. it was a... Uh, It was a good
1: time. I have two questions follow ups on that. Was the Chipotle sponsored? What was that? Was the Chipotle sponsored? Like, did were they like, no, Keith. The Chipotle's on us.
3: Oh yeah, they they set up the whole thing. They set up everything. They knew the the manager knew we were coming in, and then you know they gave us a few free coupons (laughs) for uh, our later dates.
1: I got to know what's your. It was awesome. What's your go to order?
3: Uh, depends how light I'm feeling on that day, but uh, usually I go with the burrito bowl, uh, chicken burrito, no beans, and then no beans. just a few toppings. Always got to get that Tabasco chipotle sauce on it, though.
1: That stuff is good. No beans is a surprise. Um,
3: uh, oh, just not a not a beans guy, right. but then uh, always got to go with the chips and guac. It's a
1: it's a must do.
3: Um, now are, where are you no looking, matter, no matter how extra it is.
1: No, yeah. If, if if guac is like five extra dollars, you're kind of like, okay, fine. You're you're getting me, but I need the guac. It has to happen.
2: With you yeah. know, it's you, you know, it's not going to surprise either of you What's because that? You uh, hate... Keith has famous... as as the fun police. Oh I have to tell God. you both that I don't like guac. You're I think guac is wildly overrated.
1: This is a nice interview I'm having with you know, Keith, Keith Kiket, and You're a piece of shit,
3: <laughs> <laughs> Cap. You know, I, I wouldn't expect anything less.
1: <laughs> this. Oh, my God. Didn't one time Vinny get you a burrito with guac on it and you, like, almost fought him?
2: Uh, yeah, no, we didn't talk for a couple days. That's
1: unbelievable. You're the worst person I've ever met. Um, Ke- Keith, what is... People what... like guac. Yeah, I know, people I, I don't just, like. It's
2: not for me. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a guac guy. You don't like anything.
1: Um, Keith, what team's in the Metro fun, next the, year? Fun's not for you either. No, fun oh, is not in Greg's. <laughs> Greg is the fun police. Anytime I want to talk about, like, exquisite beers or fun things, Greg is like, I don't know if I like that. But I don't want to hear I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to talking hockey, Greg, if you don't mind. Um, I do
2: mind, but anyway. That's
1: fine. In the East next year, obviously the, the East is kind of loaded up. I mean you have John John Svair still in the East. The Lightning have seemed to be making trades. Carlson might be on the Lightning soon, who knows? Are there teams in particular that you're you're looking out for next year they are on the rise, or what team has your has your eye that you're you're looking forward to play?
3: Um yeah, I think we're we're always looking forward to play uh, our, our metro teams. Um, there's always good rivalry and uh obviously you see how jam packed it was this past year. Um, you know, Philly's, you know that rival rivalry between us is just uh you know, a lot of hate there. But uh I, I like to see what what's gonna happen with t- Toronto. I mean adding John Tavares to an already stacked team it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, kick uh, kick or wrong. I think we owe can always- Tampa, a little revenge. Uh, you know, we had their, their number during the regular season, but they have to the play off experience for us. So um, we're just looking to, you know, just build on our season last year and, you know, gain even more experience and show the league what we. Um, we
2: yeah. Well, I'm going to pretend like you're still there. Uh, Keith, who on your roster are you excited to <laughs> who,
0: uh
2: Who on the team, are, how good can Nico be in year two? Because I, last year's rookie class was so loaded with other guys on other teams that I think Nico gets overlooked a little bit. Are you excited for what kind of leap he can make in year two?
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I told you guys before, he's it doesn't even seem like a rookie. You know? He's very mature for his age, and you know his talent is just raw. And um, you know I think he wanted to get a little a uh, little stronger off the ice there this summer and. You know, I think that'll really help him with his balance and his puck uh you know his puck protection and whatnot, but he's just a pure goal you know goal scorer playmaker so uh I'm really excited to see what he's like, and like i said he's he's one of my favorite guys on the team, so he's excited to get back there with him
2: yeah sounds like you hate Nico, I guess we can take him off your hands if you need it
1: yeah, if you want to make him a ranger, that's fine. <laughs> Um, have you have you have you followed the Ranger rebuild at all? Is it surprising to you that the Rangers are like, screw it, we're going to try and rebuild, or do you feel like it's kind of a false a false rumor because the team is still sort of talented in, in, in certain ways?
3: You know, I think that team is always going to be talented. You know, I, everyone wants to. Nobody's going to say no to playing for the Rangers, and uh, <laughs> they're always going to have up and coming prospects that you know surprise you here and there. You, you got Butch from last year. You know, he mm-hmm. was tremendous. I think they're always tough to play against no matter who they have, so um and obviously they have Henrik still back there. Um, not too ha- sure how happy he is about that, but um Ranger yeah, he, he's been a trooper, he's going yeah, he's gonna stick it out, and you know you never know what could happen.
2: No, I think we're rebuilding. I, mean, <laughs> has, I, I am curious, and I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I want to ask anyway. Have uh, has Hank ever reached out to you, being another goalie in the New York area? As like, hey, I see you, I respect you. That's all.
3: (laughs) Uh, No, I don't really think we have ever had a had an exchange, not even on the ice. So (laughs) he's always in the zone, it seems.
2: That guy. I feel like take him anywhere. He's just so beautiful and good at what he does. I don't know.
1: So different than Keith. Keith, I I think. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> There's something I have to ask you that's not hockey related. Uh, what is your top Drake song currently uh, from the new album?
3: Oh my cow. Uh in my feelings, I think just took it over this past weekend. It was a it
1: was a big one, a big hit.
3: Um, I, I I'm upset. He's asking also, everybody, Kiki, do you love if me? You love me. <laughs> All right, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of nonstop. Also,
1: that's a good one. Also, Drake's Drake. I feel like everyone flamed on his new album, but it it has like eight or nine hits on it, and the guy just can't stop putting out radio hits no matter what he does. Oh, um, I
3: think it's I think it's unreal. I'm a Drake. I'm, I'm a, a Drake guy.
1: All right, uh, Greg, do we have any other questions for Keith before we let him go?
2: Uh, I I I do not. I got I got nothing. I'm not much of a Drake guy either. So there you
1: yeah, go. we get it, Greg. No, you don't like anything. <laughs> we we get it. No fun.
2: <laughs> Keith, whatever. whatever. Keith, dude, thanks so much for coming. I am what I am, on. and I'm proud of it.
1: Yeah, we know, Greg. <laughs> All right, man. We'll let you go. Thanks so much for coming on. Maybe we could grab you during the season. Maybe, like, you know, at the All-Star break.
3: Who knows? Yeah, well, whenever you guys want me, I'm here for you guys.
1: Yeah, okay.
2: All right. Well. We've, heard, we've heard we've heard that before.
1: <laughs> we'll be in touch, buddy. Thanks so much. we we'll to you have heard that soon.
3: for a few years now,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: All right, man. Be good. We'll talk to you soon. And we're back with our second guest of the day. We have Shayna Goldman. She's a contributor to The Athletic and also Blue Shirts Banter, question um, mark? Yes. Thanks so much for coming on. This has been a long time in the works for us.
4: Thanks for having me. I know. the season, it's hard during the season. We've been
1: hunting. We're like, when can we get Shayna on? She writes such good articles. And for a while, we did this thing where we crapped on your co-worker, <laughs> yes. uh, Rick Carpinello, who we had on two weeks ago, who's now our best dear good friend. Uh, and we've been saying that you should take the mantle for a while, but now we're just happy that you are nice co-writers together.
4: Yeah, it works. Like, I think we definitely complement each other a lot.
1: Well, you have two totally different styles. I think that's easy enough to say, right? Yeah. Um, You're really more the in-depth analysis, analytics look of things, Uh, whereas Rick is, you know, Rick.
4: (laughs) I mean, he gets, you know, the player's perspective and the quotes, and, you know, that's a lot of traditional... Fans, that's the content they're looking for, and that's it. They don't, they don't want anything that they don't see on the ice being written in front of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like numbers and charts, which Rick does not like, and that's fine because you know we balance each other out.
1: Yeah, we're all different. We're all looking for different type of content, especially in 2018.
2: And um, it's also, it's, it's also nice that Rick isn't. There are some writers out there who kick and scream about the data revolution going on in hockey. Rick's not that guy. Rick. Comes off more across as the guy just he just he puts his hand up and says it's a little too complicated for me. I'm a little too old to get into all of it. I know the game. I know I'm going to give you guys the stories I know. And then Shana comes in like this stuff is right up my alley. Let me try and simplify it for you. So it actually where I was used to be just a whiny douche when it came to stuff. I would see now it actually has a balance in my life and I kind of like it. I've I've matured. That's all I'm saying. We've grown, grown. We've, we've grown up.
1: But Shayna, what I really want to talk about real quick is how much you hate the Lady Liberty jerseys.
4: I don't hate them. I swear I don't hate them. But they're just not my favorite. Like, of all, everyone's like, oh, what retro jersey do you want to come back? They are, like, towards the bottom of my list.
2: Which ones do you want to come back? Yeah, you got to tell us now.
4: Arizona. Arizona was number one. And when I saw they brought it back, I was so stoked. I'm definitely going to get one. Um, Mighty Ducks. Big fan of Mighty Ducks ones.
1: Those are the two big ones, right? Like, I'm not crazy? Yeah.
4: No, 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 they totally are. And uh but there's a lot of people like with the Arizona one, it's either you love it and think it's great or holy crap that's fucking I can curse, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah.
4: <laughs> but, you know, oh my god, it's ugly. So, you know, you really have different opinions there. Uh San Jose had a cool throwback one. I think they did it as their anniversary jersey like a year or two ago with the gray. That's mm-hmm. really nice.
2: I might I might be the 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 weird guy. I I kind of miss the Dominic Hashik era. Sabre jersey? I'm going to go ahead and confirm no. that Greg's the weird guy.
4: I, I like those.
2: I was I was a fan of the Buffalo. I just like that Buffalo leans in the fact that they're Buffalo. That's always fun to me.
4: Yeah, it, I like theirs. It was better. What did they have a couple years ago? It looked like a practice jersey outright. It was like the yellow with the gray and the navy on the sleeves. Mm-hmm. That, one, that one was really ugly. They, they've had much better ones. But their, uh, their winter classic one last year was beautiful.
1: And this has been yeah. Jersey Talk with Bushwick Breakaway. Okay. <laughs> now that we've done all that, I need to know what you think the Rangers still need to do this offseason.
4: Um they got to re-sign their restricted free agents. Check. They definitely need to figure out like what they're doing with their centers and if if I'm the Rangers I extend Kevin Hayes. I give him, you know, close to the ask. I don't know if I I try to get it lower than Zibanejad, but if it's about the same range, it's not a thing for me. But I limit the um, clauses in it. If they go with a similar deal as a where it's the first two years, there is no uh, trade clauses. And then in, down the line, they do like it gives them the option so they can decide what to do in the next two seasons also. And um, I don't know if I keep Ryan Spooner. It's, it's no offense to him. If it came down to Nemestikoff or Spooner, I would have chosen Nemestikoff anyway, because I think he has more to offer, but I would assume they're going to trade him. Cause I don't see the point. If not, you know, it was like, oh, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and then it didn't. And I would try to figure out how to uh, rebuild like their wings, especially in the bottom six, because that fourth line was a train wreck last year. And I think they might have guys in their uh, system to do it, like uh, Linquist, right? And Meskinen, maybe? I'm probably saying their names wrong.
2: That's, that's uh, like what Lind, we do You got right. I, I don't know the other high scoring European they signed this offseason, but I would I would also like to see him on a wing. You're telling me you don't want to see Cody McLeod taking up ice time for the New York Rangers this year?
4: I would. I don't see the point of the extension because you have Matt Beleski who could be OK. Maybe
2: Matt Bolesky can at least play in the offensive zone. I, he's kind of a train wreck defensively, but he can maybe score.
4: His numbers were good before last year. Last year is just...
2: He fell off the cliff. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... We tried to make... Well, I tried to make the case for (laughs) why signing Cody McLeod last week kind of made sense. It
1: didn't really work. It didn't really
2: work? Nope. Uh, My whole argument is if you just need a guy to sit in the box every night and not actually play hockey, then I guess you can give $850,000 a year to Cody McLeod. Counterpoint, you could have done that to either of us. Right, exactly. I... It, it didn't make any sense. To, to your Spooner point, though, would you be angry if I, I, – angry is not the right word. Would you be disappointed if the Rangers signed him to a one-year deal, just went to arbitration with him, knowing that restricted, unrestricted free agency was coming up in a year for him and no. kind of moved the timetable on Spooner to trade him? No. Do you think he has to be traded this summer?
4: No. He's the, it's not like if he's in your lineup, you have a problem. He saw it, he's, a, you know, he's a scoring winger, winger. He goes right into your middle six. Like, with Boston, he was played in a little bit more of a sheltered role, and I think he had more to give there that, like, he didn't get the chance to do, and, you know, others moved ahead of him on the depth chart. But we don't have that problem here. And he played well with Hayes. He played um, – he was really good. Like, there was – really good on the surface, I should say. And there was really nothing to complain about from that. So if they started the season with him, I have no problem with it. But if they let him walk next offseason for nothing, I, I don't understand it at all.
2: I'm I'm with you on that point. You have to get something for Ryan Spooner. But the more I I've, I've thought about it, I was I'm with you. I was team trade Spooner at the draft. Get something for him then and figure everything out after that. At the same time, I can also see an argument for keeping Spooner to make sure both Hedo and Anderson have people to play with if they make your opening night roster. Right? Because even if for some reason, and we went over this with Carp a little bit, if for some reason Lias is here and playing fourth-line minutes. You also don't want him playing with fourth-line players. So maybe there's a benefit for having a guy like Spooner stay in te- in, on the team because it, it just extends your roster one more spot down the line. Whereas Heedle can play with Nemestikov, Anderson can play with Spooner. Those guys aren't playing traditional third- and fourth-line minutes or with traditional third- and fourth-line players.
4: I agree with that. Because if if you're if you're having Lee Anderson play alongside someone like Cody McLeod, or you know, last year it was Paul Carey, who he, I mean, don't get me wrong, Paul Carey ended up being pretty okay for most of the year, after a kind of shitty start. But if you have him playing alongside non-traditional fourth line players, it's really not the worst thing in the world. There's not as long as you're not like shrinking his minutes. And with Spooner, it's not like they have someone else that it's like, oh, he'll be taking these minutes away from. So it, it's it's not a big deal if he's there. He's he's productive he's fine and he'll have value at the at the deadline
2: yeah i'm i'm 100% in on that mindset also did you did you see this offseason i forgot where paul Carey signed but the press release called him a defenseman yeah ottawa <laughs> you know what you know what you know what doesn't surprise me that
4: they can't do anything right they they really can't
2: at the same time maybe paul Carey is a defenseman and it was us that were playing him out of position have we ever thought of that
4: mm. You know what? Ottawa is the bigger tie of ours, so I'm going to say that they screwed up, not us.
2: <laughs> Poor Paul Carey. Guy can't catch a break. No. Nah. Um, Shannon, we talked about this before you jumped on the podcast, so I'm curious to hear your opinion. Brady Shea, what is your ideal Brady Shea contract?
4: I want to give him, like, six years. I, If you could give him Shane Gossard's contract, I'm over the moon because with with him, uh, what was it, last offseason, it was right after he had a really um, – I guess everyone like considered it to be a horrible year and he was in the press box for a handful of games, even as like a sheltered second pair defenseman that was great on your power play and, you know, solid everywhere else. But he, he was just a second pair defenseman. The contract looked great. So if Shay ends up being just a solid second pair defenseman, it's not a bad contract to have, but like, I wouldn't mind if they gave him a little bit more because they have the flexibility and, I would, I would understand if they gave him only four or five years and not like the full six. But if they bridge deal him, they should cross their fingers, their toes, their eyes, everything to make sure that they can get him under a reasonable contract for his next deal like Matt Dumba did. And even even that contract like could become a problem for the wild down the line because it might be a little bit more than it should have been had they just signed him originally.
2: Yeah. we, Ryan and I are in complete agreement where the Rangers with Shea, they're in a position where you either extend him long-term or you trade him. I think the only outcome that is a negative for the Rangers is giving him a bridge deal. It it is only going to hurt you long term.
4: Yeah, probably. I mean like there's there's cases that um and I looked them last week. There's definitely been like situations where you can bridge you can give a player a bridge deal and it's not going to completely screw you, but like the chances are it, it's going to And I know some people are worried, well what if he's bad and he's not good, whatever. He's a young defenseman. You're going to be able to move him. Some team is going to be willing to absorb his contract, and it might be someone like Edmonton, and it might actually be someone that's smarter than that that thinks this guy actually has all the you know raw skill and the talent, but he just needs a different environment and a different system, and we'll have it for him.
2: Could it be more on, and more on board with that? I, I think it sounded like I said, couldn't it be a yeah, moron? couldn't be a that moron. That is <laughs> not what I was saying whatsoever. Um, one thing Ryan and I haven't talked about because we haven't really gone into – everything else that's going on in the NHL. You have any opinion on what's going on with Jacob Truva? I am fascinated by everything happening in Winnipeg right now.
4: I'm not surprised at this point, you know, that went to arbitration and all that. But it's not ideal for them. They they have – last year's team was probably the best team that they're going to have for a while because it was everyone in their prime and, you know, the contracts and whatever, and everyone's going to get more expensive. You're going to be a little bit more crunched, and you're not going to be able to have this many good players at a time if – you have to start paying everyone more. It, it's going to hurt you in some way. So, this was their chance to kind of get him to that reasonable deal. And you still have Josh Morris, who's going to look for an extension. He, he's an RFA right now. You have line in next year. You have so many considerations. Their opening ask, and I know it was just an opening ask, was so low that it, it was kind of insulting to him. Like, he is a first pair defenseman. He wasn't an offensive role. You asked him to play a shutdown role. He did it. Now pay him like it. Just, that, just, for
1: everyone that doesn't know, it's Jacob Trouba was is doing contract negotiations, and their opening bid was four point five million, I believe. And Truba no, was looking flat, flat four. Oh mm-hmm. wow! And Trouba was looking for north of seven. Is
2: that correct? He yeah. his number his number was seven, and then the arbitrator ruled, I think yesterday, to split the difference. And if he wants to sign a one year deal, it'd be for five and a half.
1: Yeah, and that makes sure. I mean, that would if I'm Trouba, I'm like, I'm leaving now. I'm totally leaving. You're never seeing me again after the season.
2: Well, well the, that's the pretty still a restrictive
1: Oh, that's true. My bad. But yeah, but that's bad. That's bad. That's bad blood moving forward for sure.
4: And so, their negotiations weren't that smooth last time either. Did, I don't, did they go to arbitration last time? Or did he, it he held out, out for the
2: last, last, half the season last time.
4: That's what it was. Oh, right. He wasn't arbitration eligible.
2: Yeah. He he wanted, uh, I, I think it was it was right after his entry level, and he held out because he wanted more than what the. Jets were offering him and he eventually settled on a, the two year, 3 million annual deal that he got. So I, it seemed like things were patched up with Truba in my mind. And then this happens. I, if you're Jacob at some point it becomes offensive. Like it, it, you, he's a human being. His employer is basically continually telling him that they don't think he's worth what he's worth long-term. I, I know the Rangers went down that road this off season before, And I know that it's basically something the Jets said they're not interested in. So it doesn't make any sense for us to bring up trade opportunities involving the Rangers regarding Kevin Hayes. At the same time, if I'm the Rangers, I am infinitely curious of how the Jacob Trouba situation plays out. Because that is exactly the kind of guy the Rangers should be swinging on.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And I think... The thing with it is, you know, he's restricted free agent at the end of it. So it's not like um when the Islanders extended Calvin Dehan last year and they only gave him a one year deal, and it was like, uh, this was your, you know, chance before he goes to unrestricted free agency to lock him down and he's been great for you. Even if, you know, it doesn't show on the surface, he's done everything you've asked. You're gonna lose him for nothing. They lost him for nothing. And obviously things changed and management changed, but they lost him for nothing when they shouldn't have. With Truba. He's a restricted free agent, but he might not want to play for you moving forward, or you're going to come back to the situation then. And what if teams are more willing to, you know, throw an offer sheet because they know you don't value him the way everyone else does. Like you're just creating a situation you don't want to have, especially when you should be going into, you know, continuing, you know, your window to compete.
2: And Truma to me feels like he's a guy you need to make sure you build around. Obviously there are other pieces you want to keep alongside Truba. But at the end of the day, if you're Winnipeg, Line A offensively and Truba defensively have to be your two guys that you just you die on those hills. Those are guys you go to war with for the long term and you hope you get a cup with both of them. Because if you try and trade Jacob Truba just to find another Jacob Truba, it's gonna be very difficult for you. I don't think you're gonna enjoy that trip. And they're just seemingly setting themselves up for a situation where Truba leaves Winnipeg. And that is a dangerous game to play, especially with a defenseman that young, that talented, and someone who should be making north of $6 million annually, straight up. The fact yeah. that he's not this year is a gift for them. But like you said, is a human being. If he doesn't want to play for Winnipeg, he can make that perfectly clear. And he never has to sign a long-term deal with them. And then they're in a world of hurt.
4: And I don't know what else they're like looking for with him. Like, oh, we need to see what he is. We need to see what he can do and all of that. And it's like, you just had a two-year bridge deal. That entire purpose was to figure out what is he to our team in the future. You didn't want to go long term or you were just hoping to minimize the cost. Like they, they said they're opening ass uh, money-wise, but they didn't say term or anything, right?
2: Uh, no, it was straight up. I think it is an arbitration. They always just go based on the, if we sign a one-year tender, this is what we want to pay you aspect of it. Uh, But I don't think they ever brought up a long-term deal within this offseason. I don't think it's been discussed.
4: Yeah, like slowly build up to that long-term contract, which is, I don't get that. They they seem to like, besides it with Truba, like Winnipeg has been like pretty good with like their contract. So I don't get it.
2: They've been great. Uh, is there a move you expected the Rangers make this offseason that you're disappointed they haven't?
4: I don't know about disappointed. I expected the master Spooner to be moved at the draft. And I kind of thought pick 26 would have gone a little higher and it, it worked out. Kondra Miller. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm thrilled with that pick, but I did expect them to do something, whether it was get another restrictive free agent, anything, a, a winger. And uh, I wasn't, I wasn't totally ecstatic with their draft and there were some things that I have like a million questions about, like uh the goaltender in the second round.
1: That's everyone though. Were you Wa- yeah. were you a Wallstrom person?
4: I was. I, I was I was actually watching the draft with um with an Islander fan and um when I saw Wallstrom was available, I'm like, holy crap, this is great and I was handling uh blue shirt banners. Twitter, and we had all this stuff ready for whoever the Rangers picked um, with the ninth overall pick. Like, we had a graphic ready to go that Tom made. So I, I was, like, all ready to get it loaded up for Wallstrom, and when I saw it wasn't, I was just in total shock because I figured he's available, that's it. You know, the if if someone like Brady Kachuk was available, I figured 100% they're taking him. There's no questions. But I, I was so surprised about it, and then, like, you know, after a little while, I was like, let me, let me look into him more because I really didn't study up much on him because I didn't anticipate him dropping that low. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was pleasantly surprised with everything I saw after the fact. And I think he'll be a great player. So I can't complain now, but I was totally surprised then. You're, you're talking about Sov now. Yeah. Okay. And then so when Wallstrom was picked, he wasn't picked 10th. I'm like, oh my God, he's going to the Islanders. And I'm sitting there with an Islander fan who's living, forgetting – Dobson, and Wallstrom, and I was sitting there like, this is terrible.
1: Good news, they lived again the following week.
4: Oh, my God. I It was, that was great. Everything, everything about it. Um, I was with Islander fans the night before free agency, and everyone kept asking me to check my phone every couple minutes to see if there was anything about Tavares submitting that eight-year deal.
1: Are you from Long Island? Yes. Okay, so me too. All right, that makes sense. All right. Um, yeah, the Tavares thing, sweet, sweet victory. Man, that feels good. uh uh, the pajama picture is just on my wall so that's that's good for me is there a player that you think could benefit from david quinn becoming the head coach at this point in time or how much do you actually know about david quinn because us not so much
4: um i when we heard david quinn was going to like become the head coach i i started researching like everything i could um and i from what I've like read so far, you know, he wasn't the X's and O's guy and you got someone in Greg Brown that is, and everything about Greg Brown is positive. So like the player that I think will benefit the most granted he's here is Kevin Hayes because of all people like Quinn has seen him play at Boston college. Brown obviously did. And they saw how talented he was. And, you know, you read everything from when he was drafted and it's look how talented this player is and how skilled and patient he is. And the puck control, But look at his size, like he's balancing it. He's so offensive, all this stuff. And then you saw the first year with him and then it's, okay, here's the defensive role. And he did it. He did everything that was asked of him, but I have to think the Rangers are going to look at him and be like, okay, we're going to put you in a more offensive role. Even if we split your time and you still take some defensive zone starts to take the strain off someone else, whether it's like Leas or a fourth line center, maybe it's Bunieves, whoever it is, but they, they should definitely be thinking we're going to give you power play time instead of, You know, last year was David Arnay taking it on the second unit when it should have been Hayes the entire time. And I think that they'll use him to his strengths. And now they see that he has these other strengths as well that they can, like, balance out with it. But I think that these coaches are going to look at him and go, we know what you can do offensively, and we're going to make sure you get there.
2: I think my number one beef last year with Elaine Vigneault after everything involving Pavel Mm Buchnevich was Kevin Hayes not playing on the power play. It just made so much sense, especially – when we got to the point in the year where we knew the Rangers weren't making the playoffs, he's. Just, it, I just got so frustrated. He's a guy that has plenty of offensive upside, and it seemed like Alain Vigneault was going out of his way to prevent Hayes from exploring that upside.
4: Yeah, yeah, and on the power play, like there were so many things Arnie did over the years that I was like, I don't understand the logic, like you know, it would be the units working and Zabanajad was working in his spot. And it's like, oh, let's switch him for a game. And it's like, why don't you wait till it doesn't work before you start like tinkering because there's no reason to. And then it was like that on the first unit, which was clicking. And then they kept breaking apart the second unit and flipping players with the first one. Like it was Kreider at one point, then Nash, then Miller. It wasn't working. And it was like, why not just keep the first unit as is that's doing well. And then add someone to the second unit to balance them out. So you have production from both. And Kevin Hayes was the answer for that. And they just didn't do it until they were out of players. Once they started, you know, trading away players and injuries.
2: And the crazy thing happened. Kevin Hayes looked like he would be useful on the power play. Who knew who would have thunk it? Uh, Shannon, one of the last things I want to ask, I'm sure Ryan has something else as well. One of the guys, I think Ryan and I have talked about a lot this offseason, just in terms of if he's not going to get his chance now, is he ever going to get his chance? Do you have any opinions on Tony D'Angelo heading into this season?
4: Um, yeah, uh, he was someone that I thought last year he got screwed off the bat. It was that game against Toronto and he had that giveaway. That was just, it, it was horrible. Don't get me wrong. Like it was such a mistake and they didn't give him the chance to learn from it. It was, you're the seventh defenseman, you know, enjoy getting power play time and nothing else. And everything after that was just total mess. That was, you know, Shattenkirk was demoted. Stahl was promoted. Like everything that could go wrong with the defense did. And that was what, three games in against Toronto. Mm-hmm. and when he was sent down to the AHL, he was expected to thrive, and I think part of it was his attitude. He, he wasn't in the right mindset and all of that, and it's kind of like when the team and the coaches, they know that he was so immature from the start, they're not going to give him the benefit of the doubt if his attitude's bad. It's like, you know what? You need to learn at some point, point. and I think he needed to, and he didn't, and that could have been why he wasn't brought up sooner, but I liked what I saw from him. When he came back up before his injury, he got some time with Shea, and I thought that was nice to see because they had played together in the World Juniors, and there was a lot that I was like, okay, there, there's definitely raw talent there, so it just needs to be worked with, and he didn't get that. If these coaches don't do it, I don't think he has any shot in the NHL. Like, I think he has to know at this point, like this is, this is make or break it for him because he doesn't have the skill, at least it, it hasn't been seen as much to back up all of the other shit that we know about him, that it, at some point it's like, you need to thrive. You need to be put in the situation to succeed. But even if you're not, you need to make the best of it and show that you deserve to be put in a better situation. So uh, I got to think that this year, like, something works out. But I also think that there's other options that could take his spot so easily if he takes a step back.
2: Like who? Uh, Hayek?
4: Um, maybe. Or, you know, Maybe Clayson comes into the lineup and he can play the right side if he's not already in it. You have Pionk, who's good. You have Gilmore. Because you can't, you know, as it stands, you have Shea Shattenkirk. Stahl's in the lineup. Smith will probably be in the lineup. And he damn well should be. Or at that point, it's on him. And then you have two more spaces. And it's like, well, there's Clayson, there's Gilmore. You have no idea if they're going to like Camphor, which I can imagine that they do. But... You know, crazier things have happened. And, and then you have Neil Pionk there. And then you have D'Angelo. So it's like, how do you fit all of them? Because Shea Shattenkirk and Kirk are locks. And I'm going to guess Smith is in there too.
2: In my mind, on the right side, opening night, barring training camp blowups, which are possible. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's actually going to happen in David camp, Quinn's first camp. I I have a hard time imagining a right side of the Rangers defense that isn't Shattenkirk, Pionk, and D'Angelo, because why? Why wouldn't it be? If even if Stall and Smith have to be in the lineup, and I stall there's been talk about how the Rangers value his leadership, so people look up to him in the locker room, and that has value on a team where all of your defensemen, Sand, Shattenkirk, are under the age of twenty-five, and mm-hmm. then Smith, like you said, at some point, you you have to see if he can actually be the player he was when he first came to New York. You gave him for a four-year deal. Three years are left on it. You're not going to buy him out. You just have to see if he can play. So give him every opportunity to do it. But on the on the right side, Shattenkirk is a given. No mm-hmm. one's saying anything different. Uh, to me, the more I think about it, I think D'Angelo should – Given isn't the right word, but D'Angelo should have every opportunity to make the lineup, even if it's ahead of Pionk, just because of what you gave up to get him. Mm-hmm. And like you said – I'm 100% on board with this basically being the make-or-break year in Tony D'Angelo's career. If he can't make it work with David Quinn, he's not going to make it work with a head coach in this league. But at the same time, you have to give him the chance to make it work. You have to give him a long enough leash where the reason why Tony D'Angelo fails is because of Tony D'Angelo and not because of anything you did to hamper his development. And I think, I mean, how many times have we had to say, Elaine Vigneault's greatest weakness or one of his greatest greatest weaknesses is managing young talent on NHL rosters.
4: Basically every game. You probably said it every single game. We, yeah. we all did in some way, shape, or form. But no, I, I, I agree. It, he he definitely is going to be using a more sheltered role. And I don't disagree with that. And I don't think that's necessarily an insult. I know a lot of people take it as an insult. Like, oh, if they're offensive, they can't play defensively. You know, his underlying numbers really weren't that bad. And I think you need to see them in a bigger sample than, you know, half of the season that he played. But it wasn't, it wasn't that awful that it would go, oh, I, I don't want to see more. And it's not like you saw him, you know, you actually watched him on the ice and was like, I don't want to see more. There were mistakes and there's things with discipline that need to be worked on. But, like, I don't see why not. My only thing is you're going to want to shut down pair. Shattenkirk's not going to be on it. You can give Shattenkirk mixed zone starts probably with Shea. D'Angelo's not going to be on it. And Stahl, well, should not be after last year. You know, it, when it was him and Camphor at one point, it didn't make sense. And then it was him and Pionk and it didn't make sense that much. I think Pionk can do it. And I would be curious if him and Smith could do it together. But if not, I would also be curious if Smith could do it with Clayson. And now if you have that as your shutdown pair, you just knocked one of D'Angelo and Pionk out of the lineup. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it it just it it's tough trying to forecast what the Rangers' defense is going to look like because you just have to accept the fact that Mark Stahl is in the lineup, and I get that. I get that the coaching staff could look at him as an extension of the coaching staff, leadership on the ice, helping young guys understand what it takes to play in the NHL on a nightly basis. He's just not an NHL defenseman anymore, and I I think that's the hard thing to swallow. I, the only way Mark Stahl makes sense on an NHL roster is heavily sheltered minutes on the third pairing defense,
4: well, he and he's not going to get that in New York. He was fifth the nice time last year. Actually, he did average the fifth uh, fifth the nice time, and that was considering like the boost in minutes he got after the deadline. Right, I think it was five on five minutes. It was just where they were playing him, and a- after the deadline, it was kind of like you don't have any other options in right. October when it was a Camphor and that was a thing on their winning streak. That's another story, but I think stall could be okay and I think I'm one of the few people that says that and I, I said it last year too you know when it was you're giving me hold in her stall I was picking stall still because stall I'm like was there's okay something then. he there. was
1: he was okay for a while yeah but, he know, was better he was fine he was stall um yeah Greg said I, I probably have another question and Greg lied so <laughs> uh Shayna thanks so much for coming on is there anything else we want to talk talk about Greg do we hit on everything
2: I, we've done pretty well. I mean, I would like, Shana, if you want to come back on at any point. Yeah, you, you just let, let us, us know.
1: know. Yeah. Okay.
2: That um, is a 100% open invite. And I know the best part about that open invite is I know it's going to make Joe crazy. Yep. And that makes me even happier. <laughs> yep. Love Joe.
1: Do I? Hmm. All right. Uh, Shana, thanks so much for coming on. You want to plug your stuff real quick? Um, yeah. Uh,
4: I'll have something on hockey graphs about taxes eventually, like within the next week or so.
1: And Like how to do your taxes?
4: No about players and taxi and doc taxes yeah. and all that crap and yep. yeah, um, <laughs> I'll have stuff for the athletic about the restricted free agents. Um, probably whenever those deals happen, I'm kind of like, I feel like we're all in limbo waiting because yeah. it's like, what do we do until then? Sure. So yeah, that kind of stuff. And yeah,
1: and we'll be retweeting out. If you don't follow Shane already, you need to listen to us. That doesn't make any sense. So we'll be retweeting out uh, Shane's. Is- Twitter tomorrow, and then you'll be able to find her super easily either through The Athletic or Bushers Banter. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. No problem. Talk to you soon. Okay. And we're back. Two wonderful interviews back to back. You want more great interviews, you say? There you go. We did it. Hooray. Were they good? I don't
2: know. Maybe they were.
1: Anyway, we're here to talk about the Mets, a team
2: that Greg... Hold on. Before, before we get into it, do we have any five-star questions of the week?
1: We don't. I think iTunes is broken. Hmm. I saw some reports on Twitter, again, I'm getting my sources wrong, but I saw some reports on Twitter that iTunes was broken. We got three more five-star questions this week, but no comments, so it's either, we got not five-star questions, we got three more five-star reviews, but no comments, so it's either iTunes is broken and they're not fixing it yet, and I'm not sure why, or people just left five stars and didn't leave questions.
2: So no, like, I, I, I support people for leaving us five stars. I, 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 I respect the up.
1: shit out of you if you did that, but... If you want to leave a question, you know, go do that. But I think Apple's is, Apple iTunes updating is broken right now and I'm not sure mm-hmm. why. So I'm going to investigate that more this week and then we'll figure it out next week. Maybe we'll do a double bonus for a double five-star questions.
2: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Interdashing.
1: Interdashing for sure. Greg, let me recap some things for you. The New York uh, Mets made a yep. trade of Jerry's Familia for a fourth-round pick from last year from the Athletics. That uh, set Twitter ablaze. Then uh, suddenly Noah Syndergaard had Hand, foot, and mouth disease, which is yep. commonly known for a disease for under 10-year-olds. Yep. Then, uh, Tim Tebow, the reason to watch the Mets the rest of the year, who somehow made an all-star team in the minor league, huh. was impending a September call-up, broke his yep. hand, and proved sure once did. again that God loves baseball. Greg, yep. did I miss anything?
2: Uh, the whole Cespedes situation. You oh, that yes.
1: Uh, man, that's a bad one. I'll let you handle that one.
2: Yeah, all right. Here we go. Met rant, because everybody needs it. It's it's late July. All-star trade deadline is coming up. All star games in the rear view mirror. Let's let's start with the easy one, right? Yeah. Let, let's start with the familiar trade. Uh, plain I, and simple. I guys. I actually
1: have thoughts on this. So go but before, before you plain go on and simple, let me
2: on. guys. This one is the easiest one to go through. Shut the fuck up <laughs> if you hate this return. <laughs> veteran expiring veteran contracts do not net trade value anymore they do not do it they don't do it Ryan no and I I want
1: to disagree with you but I cannot Jairus Familia was a pitcher that was showing signs of weakness already he was on an expiring con- uh, contract as it is you got a player who's over performing for his position right now it, it was probably a very fair return Brad Hand who has three years of control left uh, got Francisco Mejia from the Cleveland uh not Indians. just Brad Hand
2: but also Adam Simper yes that's like just one two, player. Two pitchers with more than three years of control got maybe the most controversial is not the right word, but intriguing prospect. It, Francisco Mejia is the number fifteen prospect in baseball because people think he's going to be a catcher. If all of a sudden Francisco Mejia becomes an outfielder, he is not. I don't think he's valuable. in the top fifty. That's correct. So he's 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 a hot button prospect with flaws. And the, the Indians got two pitchers with more than three years of control left and two pitchers they expect to replace Andrew Miller and Cody Allen in their bullpen next year. That is an organizational changing trade. if you're the Cleveland Indians long-term because that bullpen will change next year. Jerry's Familia is a pitcher having a fine season. His FIP is under three. He's striking out about 26 28% of the batters he faces. Pretty good. In a setup role, he's a perfectly fine reliever. He's also had major shoulder surgery in the last year. Shoulder surgery that many in baseball industry believe was a direct result of the Mets overusing him. He's a free agent at the end of the year where teams cannot put the qualifying offer on him. So if you're acquiring him, you know he's probably just walking after this season. He's a free agent reliever not named Brad Brack. Zach Britton, not named any of the other. Kyle Barraclough, Steckenrider. There are a lot of relievers available this, this trade deadline. The market is oversaturated with relievers. Kelvin Herrera, a very comparable pitcher to Jerry's Familia, also brought in shit. And that trade happened a month ago. The market for relievers isn't there. And here's what the Mets got for Jerry's Familia. They got... A third baseman who was a fourth round pick last year that the Mets have already promoted to double A. He has a 741 OPS. He's got a 352 on base percentage. His on base percentage is 100 points higher than his batting average. So he checks every box the Mets like in terms of hitter profiles. Patient hitter with, with some power upside. Done. He's, he's a, he's a, essentially a lottery ticket. It is what it is. He slots into the Mets farm system. Somewhere in the same range he was in the A's farm system. That's the Mets fine. got a 26-year-old relief named Bobby Wall, who has struck out 44% of the batters he's faced in AAA this year. He has a fifth of 250, pitching in the North America's most hitter-friendly baseball league, which is the Pacific Coast League. Hitters are not making hard contact against this guy in a league where every hitter makes hard contact. I don't give a shit that he's 26. Who gives a fuck? The Mets need any reliever that they can get their hands on. And we're going to complain about the fact that the Mets got arguably one of the best relievers in AAA baseball.
1: It's, and then they also a, got... It doesn't matter. You got, you're, you're, you're saying right now what the return was. It's a good return for Familia. Yeah. It and is. we
2: haven't even talked about the fact that the Mets also got a million dollars in international signing bonus Which is money. a big deal, by the yeah, way. Yeah, because the number one international free agent has not been declared a free agent yet. And the Mets reportedly in on Victor Victor Mesa. This, First wait, of hold all, on, relax. Hold name. on. Is his name Victor Victor? His name is Victor Victor Mesa. Oh my god. He's a 21 year old outfielder from Cuba who people have compared to the likes of Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. Well, if the Mets are in on that guy and have decided the one thing they need to sign him is as much international signing bonus money as they can get their hands on, getting a million dollars from the Oakland A's is a big fucking deal. And I got news for you. The Mets are going to get more international signing bonus money for Jose Bautista, for Asdrubal Cabrera, and for Zach Wheeler. They're going to get as much as they can get their hands on. And if all of those trades net the Mets Victor Victor Mesa, that's a better prospect than anyone is going to get traded this this trade deadline season. It's a fact. The thing to be angry about the Mets is not the Her- Jerry's Familia Hall. It is not. Well, let's you get- want to be angry about Johannes Cespedes? Fucking go for it. That's a guy who says he needs very serious heel surgery which takes eight to 10 months to come back from the Mets are playing a fucking meaningless season in mid July. If he gets a surgery tomorrow, yep. he's probably missing April next year. And the Mets have already said they want to be competitive next year. You want to be angry about the Mets be angry about that fucking situation. He should have had surgery a month ago. There's no reason for Cespedes to play a single inning the rest of this year. Why None. would he?
1: I don't understand.
2: It really? doesn't make any fucking sense. That, that is a situation. If you're a Met fan and you want to be angry about something, be angry about that. This team is fucking broken when from top to bottom when it comes to how it's run. And case in point is Johannes Cespedes. The Mets did nothing wrong in the Familia trade. They literally got everything they could for Familia. A guy that, by the way, Mets fans have shat on for two years straight. Yes, since the World Series. Yeah. He Familia in hindsight is going to be viewed as a perfectly fine reliever, maybe even one of the better relievers the Mets have ever had. But if we're Judging Jerry's familiar from the last two years, he's had major shoulder surgery. He's been inconsistent. He's not exactly a world beater out of the bullpen. He's a perfectly capable and, and a hell of a bridge for the A's. Him setting up Blake Trainin is
1: Blake so good. making
2: for one of the best bullpens in baseball. But here's another so thing for you that, I again, I use as an example for why I am not bothered by the fact that the Mets traded for a 26-year-old reliever beating the shit out of AAA hitters. Blake Trainin is 30 years old. He finally broke out. We've been waiting for Blake Tranan to break out for four years, and he finally did it this year at age 30. It almost, you never know when a fucking reliever is going to break out. So just get as many as you can. It doesn't make, there was once a point in time where I thought the, in baseball, the market inefficiency was spending on relievers.
1: Well, the Colorado Rockies did that this year, and their best reliever hasn't worked.
2: The best best reliever is nobody. Yeah. He's not so, paid. I don't think the market inefficiency no more is spending money on relievers. It's just trading for pitchers that throw hard and hoping three of them work. And the Mets have accumulated a lot of relievers over the last year in these trades. They got one for Neil Walker. They got one for Jay Bruce. They got one for Lucas Duda. They got one for Curtis Granderson. They've gotten one now for Familia. You know what? Have you seen the Mets bullpen? It's fucking terrible. It's terrible. It's Outside of Seth awful. Lugo, there isn't a single reliever on the Mets team right and now. And Seth that Lugo, I, I by the way, is, might be a way better starter. I don't think way better is right. I, he struggles the third time through the lineup. I think he's perfect in a bullpen role. He fucking hates being in the bullpen, though. That's the thing.
1: He definitely does.
2: So if, you, if you're if you trying to keep Seth Lugo long-term, I mean, it's nice that the Mets are going to have, I think, like four more years of control with him.
1: Is that why you're serious? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he,
2: he didn't debut until 2016. Uh, I think this year will be his first arbitration-eligible season. Oh, my God. All right. So you got Lugo for a long time. That's that's a building block in your bullpen. If you want, if you trade Zach Wheeler, you might just be moving Lugo to the rotation, which means you now have maybe Robert Gazelman. Maybe. I don't know. After Gazelman, there's no one in that bullpen I think is a long-term piece for the Mets. So people complaining to me like, oh, well, I'm not intrigued by the fact that we got another reliever. What the fuck else do the Mets have in that bullpen, guy? They have nothing. And they don't exactly have a lot of... Already homegrown, can't-miss relief options ready to go.
1: No, they don't have a lot of homegrown anything with the exception of maybe Jimenez and uh, Jimenez, is that how you say it? I think it's Jimenez. Jimenez or or Peter Alonso is another player
2: I really like. Okay, you don't like Justin Dunn? You got fucking pissed at me for snagging Justin Dunn. I like Justin
1: Dunn a lot too. Sorry, my bad. Top 70 prospect.
2: The Mets... Have and they also have David Peterson still, their first round pick last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, everyone is raving about the first round pick this year, they took this year who's already beat pitching up so much in the minor leagues that he
1: promoted promoted double A.
2: No, he didn't get promoted double A. He's in, uh, he went from Gulf Coast League to the Appalachian League, which is like going from high school to your first year of college.
1: I thought I read double A
2: today. Okay, I'm an idiot. No, not double A. The guy Jimenez got uh, promoted double A. Well.
1: Oh, okay. That's what I read. Sorry. Uh, he's been doing pretty well in
2: the minor leagues. Quickly, great. quickly, he's... tell me
1: what your thoughts on Noah Syndergaard and uh and how that happened.
2: Man, no. that just fucking figures, doesn't it? Yeah. How did that? Like, how did, that that never. That doesn't. That doesn't happen to any other team but the Mets.
1: No, there's no way. It's the messiest of what of Mets stories I've read in the last three years. Noah Syndergaard has had a wash season. He's done. He's What? what how many starts does he have this year? Like seven? Thirteen. Yeah. Jesus. And. It, <laughs> I hate to see it because I like Noah Syndergaard a lot, and I am hope he can stay healthy, but this team, this team. Has- doesn't
2: happen. Doesn't ha- the, it, not even the Syndergaard injury or illness is the epitome of the Mets season. It's the Tebow fucking injury. Yeah, it is. Because <laughs> here's Tebow, who hasn't played baseball competitively until last year, and all of a sudden, I'm here for Tebow jokes all day, but he's hitting 270 in A with six home runs. That's fucking impressive considering he hadn't picked up a baseball in years until the Mets signed him. And, of course, it gets to a point where the Mets are bad enough where they might actually promote him just for just, shits and gigs to no, see what he can do. Not just that, make a lot of money on tickets. And he breaks his hand. Yep. And he breaks his fucking hand, and now he's just going to sit on college game day sets the rest of the season. Like, that that more than the Guard injury is classic fucking Mets. Because... Before the season started, there was no reason to think Tim Tebow should actually ever be a major leaguer. Then the Mets season fucking craters. Tebow has a decent year in A. All of a sudden, you can convince yourself that, hey, why the fuck not? Would you not want to just see him play baseball for a month in New York? And that doesn't even go right for the Mets. <sighs> that is classic fucking Mets.
1: That's very frustrating.
2: But yeah, Mets fans, you want to be angry about something? The Cespedes situation is reasons number one through a, bi- a billion why you should be fucking pissed and tired of this ownership. Reason number billion and one is a story that Ryan and I talked about once before that I don't think we've mentioned on this podcast. They interviewed Jeff Wilpon about fucking – Oh, NYXL. NYXL. Well, Greg. Because NYXL – Greg. For, well, they were having a successful season <laughs> and then they crashed out, right? <laughs>
1: Greg, I got they to tell crashed you, out. I, I have a bunch of friends coming this weekend. NYXL, in case people listening, is the Overwatch team that the, uh, the Mets bought and I'm a big Overwatch League fan, very nerdy. I know what is that? Is a game you play on, on the internet. They had the most successful season. At one point in the season, they were 34 and 3 or something ridiculous. They were so absolutely dominant, and they lost in the first round of the playoffs after their bye, and will not be coming to New York to play in front of their fans. Where me and a bunch of my friends are going and have tickets this weekend. And you know who they lost to, Greg? Philly. Philly. <laughs> Philly. That's the most
2: it's the most meth thing I've ever heard. But yeah. at the same time, the Associated Press did a whole write-up on how successful NYXL has been in the Overwatch League and how, how that team has been run is a blueprint for how other teams are being run in the league. That's correct. And they interviewed Jeff Wilpon, who is the president and CEO of this team. And they said, Jeff, straight up asked him, Jeff, why is this team more successful than the Mets? And Jeff Wilpon's answer was probably because I have nothing to do with it. Hey, asshole, if that's a successful recipe for how to run an organization, get the fuck away from my baseball team. How hard is it?
1: Yeah, it's how time. Hard it? It's been time, but it's really getting time now.
2: I, it, man, my heart, I, I, my heart goes out to Met fans, most of them, the silent minority or majority that is just so exacerbated by this entire season and the entire last two seasons. And really, the entire lifetime of being a Met fan, that they're they're just too tired to say shit. I don't feel bad for any of the dumb fucks out there who chirp about just "woe is me" all the time. Shut the fuck up, guy. We get it. The Mets suck. You're part of the. You're, you know what you're. Getting you're part. To. You're just. You know you're just you're exacerbating the problem.
1: You know what you're doing.
2: Yeah, yeah Yankee the, fans,
1: you're five game's back at the wild card, and you're likely going to be playing, facing playoff elimination. In Yankees, the Yankees are going to
2: have the second best record in the American league and, and have to play a one game playoff to uh, get to the playoffs.
1: Probably it's the Mariners or the A's who are both red hot.
2: So I don't think, I, look again, I don't know how many times you and I have to sit on this podcast and say the Yankees need to trade for pitching, but the Yankees need to trade for pitching. Oh, immediately, immediately. Uh, whoever, whoever they deem is the best starting pitcher available on the market. Chris Archer, Zach Wheeler, whoever the fuck they think is the number one guy Get them. I, I The Yankees are wasting their own time if they don't acquire a top three starting pitcher. The Archer is readily available. The, I don't think the Rays have a problem trading within the division. The Yankees need to overpay to get Chris Archer. I think it's that simple. I, I Expecting Sonny Gray to be your number four starter in the playoffs is a recipe for disaster.
1: And the Yankees don't have to trade their top prospects to do it. All right. We'll, we'll talk about this another time. Uh, if you want to come see us all, live, live, August 25th at Beer Authority in in, in in NYC. And in New York City, a couple blocks from MSG, please come see us. The Garden Faithful, Baitre, the Blue Shirts, the Rangers Forum. Hashtag the Rangers Forum. We have uh, uh, some tickets left. We have got some tickets. So if you're interested, come please buy one from us. I appreciate to see you there. Anything else, Greg?
2: No. If you're a fan of another podcast and want to pay me $20 to yell at me, by all means do it. <laughs> See
1: how that goes for you chief. Yeah. Uh go good. I can't wait to see you. All right, we love you all. Bye-bye.
3: This is
0: the story of the wand.